Hi, it's Vanessa. If you've been supporting Nocturne on Patreon or PayPal, thank you so much. I really appreciate your help to keep the show going. If you haven't shipped in yet, please consider doing it now. Nocturne is 100% independently produced and depends on your support to continue. Go to patreon.com slash nocturnepodcast to become an ongoing patron with monthly contributions, or go to nocturnepodcast.org slash support. Thank you. Listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Nocturne is, of course, an ongoing exploration of the night and of darkness. Over the years, it's also become, for me, a process of discovery about what the night represents a slowing, quiet contemplation, autonomy, dreams the dominion of rest. I think everyone, the entire globe is doing too much. It needs to sit and lay the hell down somewhere. Just my humble opinion. Take more naps. Daydream daily. Sleep deprivation is a social justice issue. Sleep deprivation is a racial justice issue. Exhaustion and pain is not my legacy. Naps provide a healing portal. You are not a machine. You are a divine human being. The evening news is happening in your heart. Slow down. Investigate. Rest. They're just scrolling through in in a trance, a scroll trance, you know? You're going to have to deeply, like, meditate on this, sit with it for a little bit, marinate, do some real study and work on it. I'm Trisha Hersey, and I am a theater maker, artist. I'm a community servant, activist, and I am founder of the NAP Ministry. And the NAP Ministry is um, a project that examines the liberating power of rest. I am... The persona of the Nat Bishop, that is the personality that I take on to be able to spread this message of rest as resistance. The Nat Ministry has hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram, which to my mind speaks volumes about a collective need, a yearning for permission to rest. Trisha Hersey as the Nat Bishop ministers in posts, but she does so IRL too, which is her preference by far. I'm sitting in the room watching thousands of people go in and out of a sleep state. And to be able to like watch this sacred act happening and to be able to be the only one observing it and to kind of feel the energy of the room has been so dynamic for my own healing and my own like ideas around what this can do. I'm really so blessed and I don't take it lightly that people are trusting me to really guide them into this um, rest journey. This is the mission of the Nat Ministry to guide people into the rest journey through concise but powerful posts on social media and through collective NAP experiences. This is the center of the work. Our first event, our first installation experiment was a collective napping experience. 
That's what we've done all over the country is go in and install these spaces for people to rest wherever, you know, from yoga studios to conference rooms to churches to basements to outdoors, wherever we can go in and curate and install a soft, warm, sacred space for people to come and rest together, we will. Back in 2016, Trisha had been studying and doing performance art pieces focused on rest, and word was starting to get around in her artist circle in Atlanta. She didn't know what the first event would look like, and she didn't have money to rent a space. That first collective napping event took place in a large and airy tea room slash Reiki massage center with pillows, blankets, soft lighting. So our first event was just that 40 people came out. I didn't think anyone would come out. I really did not. I thought, who's going to come and rest with me and lay down and close their eyes and not watch their purse and just kind of be vulnerable in a space and just lay and be that intimate with someone they don't know? Like, who really would do that? You know, I thought maybe two people would come. But then when 40 people came and I had to wake them up after two hours, literally they would not wake up. It turns out a local arts paper listed the event as something to do for the weekend. And about half the people who came were strangers to Trisha. One person drove two hours from Athens to Atlanta. Another was like, I read this in the paper. Is this where I can come sleep? I'm like, yes, it is. She's like, okay, thank you. And she just walked past me and went and laid down. She didn't introduce herself. <laughs> she didn't say hi. It was clear from that first collective nap that Trisha had hit upon something really powerful. Mm-hmm, yeah. Every single one I've done, there are tears. I have not had one where not at least one person wakes up is in bawling. And I'm like, why are you crying? Like, And they're like, I just feel so emotional Like, to know how exhausted I am. I didn't realize how exhausted I was. Like, I haven't slept or stopped in two years. And once people wake up, we open the space up for a nap talk. People can kind of testify and share any discoveries or curiosities or ask questions. And during that time, it's just an open forum for people to share. And people are always um, sharing that um, things were happening in their sleep. Their grandmother who just died came to them in a dream. That's happened numerous times. One person was telling me she had a dream about being on a boat and it felt like she was being rocked by water. And then the woman in the back started crying. I was like, are you okay? She was like, I had the exact same dream. And so I'm like, pick up the dream where she left off. And so she picked it up and the other lady was like, that's the exact dream. And so there's a lot of somatic syncing up and spiritual syncing up that is happening when bodies rest together. There's studies around that from at least a biological level that people breathing syncs up, their heartbeat syncs up when they're resting and sleeping in the same space. Because I'm a community activist and feel like I'm a community servant, I really knew that it was important that we have to heal together. So whether it was three people in a room together or 500, like it needed to be in a collective way because this work really doesn't center self-care at all. I really don't use self-care in any of the framework for this work. It really looks at how collective care and communal care will save us. There are multiple layers to the NAP ministry, but the bedrock underlying them all is the seemingly simple concept of rest. To me, resting is more of a, a ethos and a perspective of slowing down, of connecting with our mind and body, 
of really stopping and pausing. Rest can include so many things. Rest can be closing your eyes for 10 minutes, meditating, daydreaming, taking a longer shower, bird watching, anything that's kind of slowing you down and connecting you back to yourself and connecting you to, to your body. It's a somatic connection and exchange with really breathing in and reclaiming your time. And so for me, resting is so much larger and bigger. This is about more than naps. People can get caught up on the concept of a nap, but this is a larger framework for really a full disruption and pushback against not having our bodies to be able to make decisions about what we should do with it and reclaiming our bodies for ours and getting off the grind machine. When I think about rest, and specifically within the framework of what the NAP ministry is attempting to do, um, I think about us needing to reimagine what rest can really look like for us. A lot of people ask me, why did you start the NAP ministry? And it really was my own personal experimentation with sleep. I never thought about this being something that was going to be for this global, larger community. I literally was just trying to save my own life. And so from that, it became something bigger. But it really started at the seed of me connecting with my ancestors, which means I'm connecting with myself. And then also trying to attempt to solve a problem, my own problem with exhaustion and trauma and just seeing what rest could do for me. I really was going to it as a, um, a place of survival. It started in 2013, when Trisha began a graduate school program in divinity at Emory University. So I was studying theology and divinity, and I had very specific reasons for going. And what I was studying and my main research interests were Black liberation theology and womanism, cultural trauma, reparations, theories, and also somatics. And so I went to Divinity School as an artist. I was already a performance artist, theater maker, community activist for 20 years. And once I hit campus, like literally within the first week, I was already thinking, hmm, maybe you should have thought this out a little bit more. <laughs> you know, I'm like raising a child. He's six years old. I'm working two jobs, going full time. The pace was brutal. I had 8 o'clock classes, so I was up on campus by 7. Sometimes I wouldn't be done till midnight. And so that combined with personal traumas, with what was happening around me in the world, being in a predominantly white institution as a black person, it was really difficult for me. I was totally exhausted and was not sleeping at all. I was just totally overwhelmed. It was literally at the same time that Black Lives Matter was heating up. All the lynchings were being repeated on television. Trayvon Martin, like I remember going to school and Eric Garner was just murdered. And we just in class and the teacher, no one mentioned it. And I just remember the video that was playing over and over again. Whenever you got on social media, whenever you got on TV, they were showing the video of him being in a chokehold by police. and. I just remember no one mentioning anything, and I remember just being in class crying. I was just totally exhausted physically, mentally, spiritually. Everything was just overwhelming to me, and so I just began to sleep. 
really, I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that I had an issue and a problem, and so I wanted to attempt to try to solve it. And so I just started coming to campus and napping. Yeah, I had naps all over the place. I was napping in the chapel at school. There's a beautiful historic chapel there. So I napped their way in the pews at the top. I was working in the archives as an archivist assistant. So there's a beautiful, huge um, manuscript and um, rare books library there. The library itself is 10 floors. And so I was many places to sleep in the basement, in the reading rooms, all over. The campus is gorgeous, so outdoors was really amazing. Out in the quad, I slept a lot. I had a place in the psychology office. Even though I wasn't a psychology major, I was always in their building, and so I found this little office that nobody was using, and I would like commandeer it and just take naps there. So it was basically wherever I could find spaces. I just needed to do it. In a lot of ways, I think I started to just mentally give up. And as I started to nap and do this more, things changed in me. I started to see connections between my work and my classes that I wasn't seeing before. I was getting better grades. I was feeling a little bit more invigorated. So I was, you know, started to think to myself, what is happening? The sleep is really helping. And I paired that with what I was doing, researching in the libraries, researching cultural trauma, researching what was happening to my ancestors' bodies while they were working on plantations and began to just slowly experiment with these theories. When I said before that there were many layers to the nap ministry, this is an important part of that. Trisha's experience with rest was locking into place with what she was learning in her research about her ancestors, enslaved people on southern plantations. It was such a blessing to be like actually in school in the South because all the plantations were here. And so the archives that I was able to get my hands on was like amazing. Documents from actual plantations, handwritten inventories that were showing like how many enslaved people were there, you know, first person accounts from slave narratives. I was reading those intensely and just became this conversation that was spiritually happening between reading what they were saying about their lives and being able to like imagine it. And so when was the cotton being planted? How long were they, you know, actually in the fields? What was happening? Women giving birth in the fields and then going back to work. I really became obsessed with the detail about how much was their daily quota. What did they need to pick in terms of cotton every day? And I was finding 500 pounds. And I just couldn't imagine what 500 pounds looked like. And so I was able to find a picture of 500 pounds of cotton. And then I began to start working with real, actual cotton. I actually got cotton from a Black-owned cotton farm in North Carolina to be able to touch it and kind of feel it. And so it just became this obsession with the micro details of their lives and the histories of their lives that people usually kind of gloss over. I really wanted to go deeper into understanding what was happening and really embody it. Not surprisingly, one of the main things Trisha found had to do with rest. There wasn't a lot of sleep and rest happening at all. I was finding they were human machines. It was 20-hour days working in the fields during the season when they were cultivating and picking the cotton when it was time for it to be um, taken up from the earth. I'm imagining 20-hour days and then going back to where you sleep at and having four hours left before you're back up. 
And so one of the narratives was saying that they don't remember a time where they actually ever laid their head down, where it was like days and days and days of just working to exhaustion. A lot of people were falling out, getting sick from not resting. So it was just total torture. It just really terrified me, and it really made me want to find some way to connect with them. So in a lot of ways, it became like an obsession, these details. I got really obsessed and began to have a conversation with my ancestors, actually in my own dreams. I started to rest and have dreams about them after I was in the archives for hours. I would be sleeping and having dreams with them in it. And so it became this really spiritual dream space that we were like sharing together. As Trisha found rest and restoration in her naps all over campus, a powerful idea began to take shape. I just remember thinking to myself, what a, a healing space this is that I'm in right now, and what could my ancestors have done if they were having the opportunity and a space to rest like this? And then Trisha followed this thought to someplace deeply personal. This is a form of reparations. I can sleep in this realm for them, I can connect and gather and reclaim the dream space that was stolen from them so many centuries ago, that was stolen from them that they weren't able to access. I can access it now. I can be reconnected with them via dreaming, via resting, via entering into this portal of dream space. So it became a personal remembrance and a personal connection for me to be able to rest for them. For me to believe and know that from a spiritual sense, the rest that I'm gaining now, my resistance, my disruption, my pushback of not donating my body to capitalism is really in remembrance and honor of them in a direct way to reclaim what they didn't have. I believe that reparations should be and will be given to descendants of enslaved people in this culture. I believe that is coming and happening, but I didn't want to wait for that. I wanted to rest in the knowing that I could have an active participation and gain it for them in this dimension now. For me, a dream space is a portal. It really is. It's a portal that we go into when our bodies are in a sleep and rested state. It's a... Um, connected exchange. It is a mysterious, divine place of healing. It's um, it's a third space. It's another dimension. It's a um, space outside of where we're in right now. It's a place you can go to um, work things out that you can't work out in your awake state. And so I really believe that dreaming and um, sleeping holds that energy for us to be able to connect to other parts of ourselves that we can't connect with in this world when we're awake. The Nat Ministry's mission to unleash the power of rest is a direct response to something you're very likely familiar with, even if you haven't heard its name. It's called grind culture. It's the, you know, 40-hour work week. It's the working overtime. It's non-labor rights at places. It's the way 
We can't take PTO. The way women are having children, there's no paternity leave that looks like anything equitable. It's the idea that your worth is tied to how much you produce. It's the go, go, go energy. It's labor that doesn't look equal, you know? So it's all these things. It's a non-living wage. It's everything blended together to make you to continue to be a human machine, to continue to move at the pace of a uh, um, of a machine to be able to be a tool for production. So yeah, that's what grind culture is. While grind culture's victims encompass a wide range of people, it's rooted in the story of Black and Indigenous people, and it's inseparable from the early wrongs that our society is built upon. I think you can't talk about grind culture or understand it without going back and understanding what was happening on plantations all over the South and all over, you know, the world, really. The transatlantic slave trade dropped off enslaved Africans all over the world, not just in North America. And so to understand what chattel slavery and what plantation labor was and what they were trying to do, that's the first. That's where capitalism and the whole economic structure of our current system started. It started on the backs (laughs) and from the labor of enslaved people. It was enslaved people working like machines to plant and harvest tobacco and sugar and cotton, also dubbed white gold, all to support the economic engine of the current system. Billions and billions and billions of dollars created on the backs of human beings. I think people need to sit with that for a little bit. I think we gloss over it. We gloss over, yeah, slavery happened, oh my God, it was horrible. To really look at the economics and what was happening from an institutional and what the country was building and what they were able to build came off the backs of enslaved Africans and also Native people. And so what we have now is basically built on that. So grind culture is a collaboration between capitalism white supremacy, I would say two other systems that supported our patriarchy and ableism. And so it's this collaboration between all these forces that are looking at human beings as as machines, that are looking at quantity over quality, they're seeing profit over human life. The role of white supremacy in our current system can be a tricky concept for white people. It can feel like if we acknowledge that systemic racism exists and that we're all a part of it, it's an admission of personal badness. But what if instead, it's this acknowledgement that actually frees us all to heal and begin to recover from a communal sickness? What if it's just complicated and we agree to live within that? White supremacy is, in a lot of ways, is um, it's not some personal attack on some personal behavior. It is a system <laughs> that looks at, allows you to look at another human being as not a human, that this whole culture has been built on. It's harming you and harming the planet that you live on. It affects us all. That's the deeper piece of it all. It's a nuance. Yeah, this is a deep unraveling, and this is why it's so important that I speak about this as much as I can, because it's such a nuanced thing that it's hard to kind of get to just off of me. 
we can't just like gloss over and take this message as like, let me lay down and not do anything. That's not what it is. I'm saying that resting is actually going to allow you to wake up. <laughs> it's going to allow you in a lot of ways to deeply do the personal healing trauma work that you're going to have to do to be able to deconstruct and decolonize your own mind. So a white person, no, they don't need to be resting in the same way that black people are going to be resting, but they need to be resting and pushing back against sleep deprivation and pushing back against capitalism and white supremacy because it's affecting your view of the world. People, when they're not sleeping, when they're not resting, I believe that they aren't able to connect to spirit. And I think this is spiritual work. It's going to be spiritual work to really uncover this, you know, so you're going to have to do that spiritual work. Yeah. When we're all unrested and, you know, stressed out and not connected with ourselves and, you know, just deeply, deeply living in terror and trauma, that isn't a place where you're going to be able to get to a liberated state. We won't be able to get to this new liberated world that we, many of us say we want from an exhausted state. We won't be able to reach that place. We can't use the same oppressive tools that capitalism has used on us to create human machines to be able to get to this empathetic, liberated, justice-filled world that we want. We just won't reach it when we're sleepy and grumpy and, you know, disconnected and being violent towards our own selves. It just, it's not going to work that way. You don't have any empathy. Your intuition is off. Your connection to your own body is off. Not listening to your body and pushing yourself to the point of exhaustion is, is, is very violent. I think resting makes us all more human. You know, rest can give us um, a moment to be able to disrupt that cycle, to connect with our bodies, to, to dream to have space to kind of hope and imagine. I believe a lot of the issues that we're trying to figure out can come to us in our dreams. You know, I believe that the people in the systems don't want us rested because if we were well rested, we probably wouldn't accept half the things that are happening to us and we wouldn't actually do the things to other people. And so in a lot of ways, I think resting is bringing us back to our full selves. It's holy work, it is spiritual work. It is um, a political practice. It's justice work. It's really imagining a new way and it's taking back. It's subverting. It's disrupting. And so rest is a form of resistance because it disrupts and it pushes back. It says no. It simply says, nope, you can't have me. I know that I am a human divine being. I know that capitalism does not define my worth. I know that I am enough just because I was born. I know that what is happening right now is not normal. To be living under toxic systems is not what I was born to do. I wasn't born to hate. I wasn't born to like, you know, not connect with myself. I wasn't born to not have empathy. This is us recapturing our divinity. It's a human right. It's not a luxury. It's not a privilege. It's not an afterthought. It literally is a human right. Sleep deprivation is deeper than just, you know, fluffy wellness that says, take a nap. You know, it, it's so much bigger. It's a political and, and social justice movement to push back and disrupt and to reclaim your time. A new world is possible. Looking at rest and just starting the deprogramming process is going to be a lifelong battle. 
People always are like, I can't rest. How can I nap? This is just so hard. We've been socialized and it's in our minds now. It's been internalized. It is going to be a slow, meticulous love practice to begin to unravel from the trauma. It's going to have to be us being inventive and subversive and finding five minutes here, ten minutes there, you know, saying no more. Slow down. You are not a machine. Take more naps. Rest. You've been listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Nocturne is produced by me and was created by myself and Kent Sparling, who also composed the theme music. Other music in this episode is by David Hughes, Jeffrey Foster, and Chiron. You can find The Nap Ministry on Instagram at The Nap Ministry. If you haven't done so already, please support Nocturne on Patreon or PayPal. You can go to nocturnepodcast.org support to find out about how to contribute. Again, that's nocturnepodcast.org support. There are fun extras if you support us on Patreon, like possum music, a big, beautiful postcard in the mail, and Nightlight's bonus episodes, like this last one, about a night on a tiny little island in the middle of the San Francisco Bay. It's four o'clock in the morning, and I'm in this crazy place. It's called East Brother Island. It's the site of a lighthouse from the 1800s. I thought I'm going to take a walk such as that is, it's less than an acre. And I had the most amazing realization, which is, I'm not scared. To those of you who have recently joined in our happy possum level of support, I want to thank you right here. Thank you, thank you to Andrew Aurelian, Jamie Engel, Mario DaCosta, and Asher Angelo Macapayad. Find out more and get in touch at nocturnpodcast.org or on Twitter and Facebook, where at Nocturne Podcast. Till next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>